0: Welcome to the Open and Resilient Podcast, where we empower business leaders to focus on what actually matters, rather than the pain of IT. I'm your host, Greg Mater. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Open Source Integrators. Today, I'm speaking with Greg Maloney, the Enterprise Systems Lead for Invite's Boulder, Colorado office. Greg has over 40 years of IT and life science experience, and over 30 years of experience in manufacturing, purchasing, finance, sales, and R&D lines of work for large, multinational companies. Greg is a go-to guy for regulatory compliance, business process design, and project management. Greg's company is nice enough to let Greg offer his thoughts, but Greg isn't speaking on behalf of Invitae. The short version, if you're looking for an expert in IT for highly regulated, critical industries, Greg's your guy. So Greg, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for the invitation, I appreciate it. So the question I ask everybody to get started, what's your favorite snack food?
1: (laughs) Well, I am from New England, so there is Pepperidge Farm Goldfish. It's gotta be my go-to in the afternoon when I need a little bit of an energy boost. I didn't realize that's a regional thing. I thought everybody who
0: had kids at least had goldfish in the house, but that's a regional food? It's regional,
1: and it, it reminds me of home. So it's one of those okay. things where, yeah, Pepper Farm, I think, is a local company, but I'd have to look that up to be sure. How do you feel about Moxie,
0: possibly the strangest soft drink in the United States?
1: Moxie is pretty amazing. That's also a, a fun thing to have on a, on a, a warm summer day. They're not that often in New England though. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Tell us a little bit about how you got started. How'd you get to this place in your career? I
1: started out, believe it or not, out of the Boston public school system. I went into trade school first and in electronics and then went into engineering, electrical engineering, and transitioned into computer science. But as far as my first professional job was at Hewlett Packard working as a a design tech and a bench tech. So I would test medical product printed circuit boards. And then an interesting track in that I started to do some dabbling within computer science. Went to school nights, finished up my degree. And then at the same time, I went into IT management, say around 1990. And then from there, it's been kind of being right in the focal point of the new technology as it starts to emerge, whether it's early cloud, HP was experimenting with that. Philips was doing things with robotic process automation recently, say five to 10 years ago. And so it's been interesting in the career in that I've had a chance to look at some of that stuff early on and understand how it's working and even agile Uh, project management, iterative project management, that's been really cool to be on some of the projects that are what I call big, hairy, and audacious, Uh, and that's where you learn, and the learning is in the doing, as far as I'm concerned.
0: You've had a career specifically in these more highly regulated or critical sorts of technologies, too. What have you seen that's different between those sort of industries and maybe what somebody's facing in an average IT project?
1: Probably the biggest difference is that the user acceptance testing is really the capstone for any IT project. That is, you have the requirements, you want to make sure that you're fulfilling the business need, and then you have a a typical kind of end of project testing to make sure that everything's working as it's supposed to. In a regulated industry, the testing actually starts in the beginning. So what you're doing is you're doing things like identifying the requirements, and then you have verification points along the way, technique called a V model, which is uh, you have the requirements coming in, and then what you do is you uh, unit test, module test, system test as you're building. I would say the biggest difference between a regular IT project, like a web development project, which can use Agile and you can make the requirements as you go along, you have to have more of a waterfall-ish approach in a regulated environment. And and what we say in the industry is water scrum fall (laughs) is that you create the epics, you understand what the situation is, and then you do sprints in order to implement it, but then you're testing as you're doing the sprint as well.
0: As a general observation of society now, I think more industries are facing regulatory challenges and not less. What we notice in our own practice is that we're dealing more and more with businesses that maybe have quite substantial regulations, perhaps in material traceability, Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps in capturing the life cycle of a product, uh, so many things. And what I think is interesting about that is a number of companies that Uh, Probably have been used to that loose and easy approach previously, like you said, for building a website or whatever, are finding themselves challenged right now with understanding the differences between an IT project and a regular situation versus a highly regulated industry.
1: Yes, I agree, Greg. I've worked on different projects where even in the regulated sense, you'd have the major, like the Food and Drug Administration, or you'd have a competent authority in Europe, but then you'd also have regulatory agencies like the FAA. There was one project I worked on where I was surprised that the product had to meet certain radio frequency controls because it would be on an airplane at, at certain points in time. Some of those can be upfront, and some of them can be hidden. And then you have the regulatory aspects of what sovereign's Oxley, for instance, is that all businesses have to conform to that. So it, it's interesting in that those skills that you gain when you do regulatory businesses are a good backstop for doing testing and just, it sounds... Like it's burdensome, but it really isn't. And when it's applied, it actually reduces risk for the business as well.
0: That's a good point.
1: Baked into this is
0: risk reduction uh, as opposed to your traditional IT project. Yes. Yeah. What are your thoughts on grassroots IT projects or shadow IT
1: projects? That's a good question. Usually what I find is that, and I have to, full disclaimers, that's how I started out. (laughs) is within IT, is I was on the business side. I worked in a manufacturing area in auto insertion and auto test. And so one of the things that I did was I worked with the computer systems at the time to do a defect measurement system. And what I find is that usually those grassroots or shadow IT projects identify a problem early on. They're the canary in the mine. And so in that sense, I kind of lean into them and then from an IT standpoint, it's like, what can I do to help? Usually they start off with Excel spreadsheets and Microsoft Access databases and and other kind of desktop type tools, but then what happens is it it reaches a critical mass. And at that point it's, okay, how do we professionalize this process and application in such a way that it satisfies the, the original business need? And believe it or not, I think those are the the easiest ones to leverage because there's already buy-in, you know, that people already need something. And then sometimes what it is, is that they're solving a point solution, but you can bring a technology like ERP, or you can bring CRM or some other application to bear. And it's like, wow, I didn't even think of the next stage. So that I think is good. But also in a regulated space, there's those conditions where maybe if, if I can come in and help with some of the, the documentation, because that's required, then it, it's almost like an opportunity to team build, if you
0: will. That's interesting. So it, you see it as an opportunity to build bridges.
1: Exactly. That, yeah.
0: many IT departments, it, it feels like the opportunity to burn a bridge. So that's just in contrast.
1: Right. And and to build on that, what I've seen is that there are projects that are, for instance, any business that I've seen so far, the lifeblood is Excel Access, and that fills a necessary gap for either data analysis or making business decisions. And those applications, then you can turn those into data lakes and business intelligence and things like that really give the business a, a competitive advantage. But it's, they're not all rosy. I don't want to misrepresent that either. It's, there are some stealth IT projects that are a problem in the making, and that's where you have to communicate and be close to the customer to understand what it is that they need and what IT can provide.
0: Which gets to where I think these grassroots projects often are, are good is helping organizations realize that they need to charter a real business project
1: exactly yeah
0: but let's kind of take this out broader how in general should a business or how do you uh realize that you need to charter a business change project
1: one of the things that i try to do is scenario planning and that is looking at the current situation and saying how can i make this better Uh, what are some possible pathways what you can do is you can look at something and say, you know, we're kind of stuck in a rut here. What can we do to improve? Who do I need to talk to? And how can I make the process more efficient? How can I make IT more efficient? So in that sense, it's really surveying the landscape on an ongoing basis. It's like having radar or having in your car, a heads up display. And when it gets dark out, you can see things that are in on your horizon that are hidden until the headlamps hit them. What I try to do is to push forward in time a little bit to see what are the possibilities, what might happen given what we're doing today. And so I know that's probably not a clear answer, but it's one of those things where you always have to be aware of what might happen and adjust. There's occasional debates in our company
0: About tools such as Six Sigma or Lean or other approaches to help identify those places where people Mm -hmm. are getting stuck. Do you use any tools
1: like that, Greg? I like Lean Six Sigma. I've had some training in that area. I also have had a lot of training in what's called business process modeling. And that is the philosophy, really, of writing down what the business is doing. And and one company I worked for did what I call Creed and Encyclopedia of the company. And so what that does is that sets a standard baseline through the company. And then from that perspective too, is you can see, okay, that's where our baseline is. That's where our standard is. How can I differentiate my company or my process and, and push the company forward? So that's another technique as well as to say, okay, we're in this market niche and, and how can we expand and prove and, and uh, get more profit, uh, for instance. So in, in that sense, yeah, lean helps. Certainly the standard quality type approaches like Pareto charting, eighty twenty rule, all of those help as well. I like the Kanban approach for project management. I like Agile as well. There are a lot of situations where we don't know the, we know the problem, but we don't know the solution yet. And we don't know all of the requirements. And I like the idea of discovering them as you go along. I did a presentation in my former company. And and one of the things that I say about project management, it's kind of like making pancakes in the morning, right? One of the things is the first pancake never comes out right. The second one's a little bit better. By the third or the fourth one, it's much, much better. That's just paraphrasing the learning curve.
0: I love the pancake analogy. That's perfect first thing in the morning here. So, we've decided we need to charter a project. Mm -hmm. What do you think the key components of that
1: exercise should be, Greg? I work for a European company, and one of the techniques that they use is uh, PRINCE2. And PRINCE2 has a notion of a project mandate. And the project mandate can be from a senior-level executive saying, we really need to do this. And it can be as simple as that to start off with as a trigger. And then what you need to do is to put some bones on it and say, okay, what are the deliverables? What are the goals of the project? What's the mission? What unifies people? And then it all comes down to change management. And and how do you get the organization moving in the direction that you need them to move in? You need to have good communication. You need to identify the team. You need to have a good budget or a reasonable budget. And then you have to have a reasonable timeline or at least one that you can work with. I do a project plan. They're always changing because things change. You run up to issues. You identify risks. You have turnover on the team. And so all of those factors mean that you have to be nimble. And so there's a certain amount of planning up front to make sure that you have your goal in mind. But then after that, certainly KPIs kick in, key process indicators and objectives and key responsibilities, which is emerging as a new way to look at projects and and look at um, achieving goals. What's interesting is in project management, it's the leadership that comes first and and the communication that comes second, really. Our current uh, situation is that we do a lot with remote teams in almost every project i've worked on in the last 30 years has some sort of remote component where you have one individual or even a team that's in another geography another region another time zone so greg what are your thoughts on how to uh, wrap up a
0: project how to go live and do you have any thoughts on finish big as maybe a mantra
1: Years ago as well, I've read a lot about Tom Peters and Tom Peters had a a small book actually that was that very premise, which was to go after the the large, big, hairy, audacious projects and set the tone from a requirement standpoint and a scope. But also when you create a, a project, what you're doing is you're bringing along a team as well. I think of finishing big as almost like when you go into the movie theater and you see the credits at the end, any large project has hundreds of people working on it sometimes. And a lot of people are in supporting roles where they're going to be instrumental in making sure that once it's installed, that the application is working well. So you do want to celebrate that big You want to acknowledge what people have done in the project, the things that they've achieved and say, hey, we've done a good job with this. We've got it in there. I've worked with a a project manager who is out of Europe. And one of the things that she used to say is done and dusted, (laughs) which is that it's fully complete, ready to go, put the package on the wall. So it's not like we build bricks. We're building usable components for the business. And so we do need to make sure that gets installed correctly, it's working correctly, but also that people use it. That's the big test of an IT project is, does it satisfy the business requirement? What we need to do is to focus on what the need is and what will bring the business forward. One company that I work for, what they used is the NPS score, the net promoter score, which is you get rated as a project manager from a a scale from one to 10. And the way the net promoter works is that You only get a positive number for nine and 10. Eight's okay. It's average. Anything lower than eight is like a zero. It's almost like a bell curve kind of evaluation. And what that is, is that you have to have the big bang at the end. You have to, because otherwise, if the, the customer doesn't think that it's fantastic, you're not doing a good job.
0: That's really great, Greg. A lot of the people that are listening to this podcast are going to be at different stages in their career, and especially for people that might be starting out, what uh, do you have any good stories from the School of Hard
1: Knocks? <laughs> oh, there's a ton of them. One of the first things that I heard of from my first professional manager is he was a, a former military major, and he said, don't rest on your laurels. That was one piece of advice where he said is is that continue to learn, continue to challenge yourself, continue to pick up new skills as you go along. And then the other thing that he mentioned to me is not everything's urgent. Sometimes problems fix themselves. Just allow time, take a breath, look at the situation and uh, encourage people to explore the solutions on their own. Seek out a mentor. When I tell people about mentoring, one of the things that I advise people to do is think of creating a board of directors. People that have different skill sets, diverse personalities, people that you wouldn't normally go to. Sometimes the challenging relationships help formulate your skills better than the ones that are easy. I think
0: you're like me, that you're quite a reader are there any books that you are particularly fond of that kind of help capture the right ethic or spirit, or maybe just practical advice for people in our profession?
1: I, I like to read up and down the project management spectrum. And currently, one of the things that I've rediscovered a book is called The Theory of Constraints. It's one of those where everything's about a bottleneck. And when you think about the Pareto principle, is that your outstanding problem today, once you solve it, you have a second one that shows up and then the the second one is there. And so the theory of constraints, although I haven't read through the whole book, uh, really deals with once you solve one bottleneck, you may have a different one and then you have to focus on that one. And so from an IT perspective, it also affects projects. You have issues and risks and the top issue may pop up and then you have to solve that one. I didn't prep you on this, but I'm glad that you're a fan of
0: Eli Goldrap too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was an incredible person and I think incredibly generous with the way he tried to share his thoughts and information with everybody. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, exactly. Greg, I'd like to thank you for being on the podcast. It's a pleasure working with you in my real life too, but this was a lot of fun. And I think you offered a lot of great ideas for people who might be listening. So thank you again. Thank you. Take care. This podcast is sponsored by Open Source Integrators, open source done right the first time. For information about enterprise grade implementations of Odoo, Pyara, OpenShift, KeyCloak, or other technologies, you can find us at www.opensourceintegrators.com. I'm Greg Mater.